Have you seen the headlines? The violence seems to be non-stop. And now the CDC is saying that suicide rates are climbing again. Sadly, we're seeing increasing numbers among even the young. That's not good. And it can feel overwhelming and discouraging. But here in episode 122 of the Happiness Playbook, we're going to give you some much-needed hope. I'm Larie Florence, and I'll be walking you through a very important idea about the possible origin and the solution to our societal woes. But before we get into it, it's time for our team huddle. How did you do with last week's Play of the Week? Last week, we talked about a Japanese concept called Ikigai, and The meaning of that is having purpose in your life. It's kind of funny because I listened to another podcast on it, and I think they missed the point because they were complaining about how it would be terrible to have to work every day until you died. And that's not what we're saying. We're saying that you want to have purpose so that you want to be active and busy, and that is a huge source of happiness in your life. So we talk more about that in episode 121. Our challenge was you should get up every day with a review of your purpose for the day. So making sure that you're not just going through the motions or doing what has to be done because somebody made you do it, but that you have a purpose. So how did you do? Let me know. You can comment on playtheory.org. You can message us on the Happiness Playbook on Instagram or leave a comment on Play Theory's Facebook page. All right, let's get into this. New research from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or otherwise known as the CDC, found that in 2021, nearly three out of five high school-aged girls and 29% of high school-aged boys in the United States reported feelings of persistent sadness or hopelessness. Now, that's almost a 60% increase over the past decade, and it gets worse 30% of those same teenage girls and 14% of the boys had considered attempting taking their life. Kathleen Bethier, director of the CDC's Division of Adolescent and School Health, said, These data show that the mental health crisis among young people continues. So what can we do about it? Would you believe the answer is sugar? Now stick with me while we talk it over. Valentine's Day was yesterday, and there were lots of treats. We had pink sugar cookies and chocolate hearts, fancy desserts. Nothing says love like a mouthful of sweetness. And we all want love. We all want to feel valued and cared about, and we want to love and value others in return. There's nothing wrong with that. But is the sweetness of sugar really the best way to show that we care? Scientifically speaking, When you give the gift of sugar, this is what you're really giving. These are some of the negative effects of sugar on our bodies. Bad bacteria love sugar. You're just fueling their onslaught over the good bacteria in your body. Sugar has been proven to depress our immune response, meaning we're much more likely to get ill. White sugar is terrible for our blood glucose levels. So type 2 diabetes, blood sugar issues, all related to that processed sugar. Sugar has been indicated in heart disease. Did you know that? It's a contributor for heart disease. It's highly addictive. 
It may increase our risks of cancer. Sugar is known to fuel or feed tumor growth. And there is a direct link with depression and consumption of sugar. And uh, there's a lot of mental health issues that are exacerbated by consumption of sugar. Did you know that it increases your uh, the wrinkles in your skin? So I guess it decreases elasticity or I don't know what, but yeah, eating more processed sugar will increase the amount of wrinkles that you have while lowering your fertility. Okay, so that those are just a few, and I'll, I'll put a link. This comes from a... Um, an article that I found online, and they've got links to all of the research proving these things. In another article from Psychology Today, quote, overeating, poor memory formation, learning disorders, depression, all have been linked in recent research to the overconsumption of sugar. These linkages point to a problem that is only beginning to be better understood. What are chronic... Sorry, I've got the dog here... What our chronic intake of added sugar is doing to our brains. So I wanted to point out a couple of words there. Uh, one was overconsumption of sugar, and the other was chronic, meaning repeated and continual intake of sugar. So yeah, research is coming out that it is not good for us. So before you all hate me for making you feel bad about the chocolate roses or candy hearts that you consumed yesterday, or that you gifted to that special someone. Let me be clear, a little is okay. I had a sweet treat yesterday to celebrate the holiday. The problem is we don't just eat a little. As mentioned before, it's this chronic consumption. And as a culture, we eat it every day to the tune of 156 pounds a year per person. That's in, that's in first world countries. And that's too much. This level of excess leads to imbalance. And imbalance is detrimental to our physical and mental well-being. Now, some of the reasons that white sugar is so bad for us is because it's a food that's been taken out of context. I want you to listen to this. Taken out of context and warped into something that nature did not intend it to be. And that's what we're really talking about today is that concept. Yes, sugar is plant-based, but processed sugar is only empty calories because nearly all of the vitamins, minerals, protein, fat, fiber, and other beneficial compounds have been stripped away in the processing process. And what's left is the sweetness that sends our pancreas into a state of activity our bodies were not meant to experience, pumping out unsustainable amounts of insulin to offset the unnatural, unbalanced spikes in blood sugar brought on by the excessive sweetness or unnatural sweetness. Now, another downside to this refined sugar is that it's rocket fuel for bacteria that cause dental plaque, which leads to cavities. So it's important to brush our teeth and have good dental hygiene to counteract sugar's negative effects on our dental health. Now, how many of you brush your teeth? Do you do it more than once in a while? More than once a week? Do you do it daily? Maybe even twice a day? What would happen if you stopped doing that? What if you thought, ah, I brushed my teeth, I'm good? Well, that depends on what you consume. According to Dr. Weston Price Foundation, diets low in processed sugar appear to be the most protective 
against oral health problems like cavities and gum disease. This is demonstrated by the fact that um, against all odds, developing countries in Africa where diets lack processed sugar have surprisingly low tooth decay rates. Uh, Again, I apologize for my dog. He's very noisy. As cavity-causing bacteria feed on the sugars. So in these poor countries that had poor dental hygiene that were consuming low amounts of a processed food, they had low incidence of dental cavities. Interesting. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that all things associated with processed sugar are evil or that we should never eat it again. I am saying that sugar's imbalance of nutrients, fiber, glucose, creates challenges for our body's physical and dental health. And we're seeing our mental health as well. Now, there are things in our current culture that, like sugar, also create imbalance due to their lack of substance. Disproportion or distortion of a balanced existence that also create challenges for our mental health. This idea of a societal sugar is what I believe is at the heart of our current mental health crisis. So what is societal sugar? Remember why processed sugar is so bad for you? Because it's, it's out of balance. It's been stripped of anything that's healthful and beneficial. So a societal sugar would be something that is highly processed or taken out of context from its natural state. Now here's some examples that I thought of. Think about airbrushing and photoshopping models in our media. That gives us a false sense of reality. It's not natural. When people stage their Instagram photos to hide the reality, that is something we've probably all done. We want to show off our best side, but then we're not showing off the whole balanced picture. Now, I can't say this word, but I think you'll all get what I'm talking about. I I could say it. I just don't want to be relegated into um, a category of podcasts. So anyway, any depiction of intimacy that's taken out of context or not for the purpose of strengthening a relationship, let me say physical intimacy, these are highly toxic to actual real relationships and coincidentally are also highly addictive. And interestingly, when we look at a picture of another person, a stranger, or even something that artificial intelligence has created, or something that someone's drawn, such as an anime character, this is an extreme departure from actual human contact, which is what would be natural and valuable and meet an actual, very real human emotional need. But that false version is something that has been distorted and uh, is usually represented in disproportionate ways. And it's not healthy for our mental health. When we spend excessive or obsessive time on a video game, then we're trading participation in the real world for activities that narrow our outlooks. I'm not saying that all video games are bad, but we need to be aware of their addictive tendency and aware that our needs can't be met in a two-dimensional world, no matter how great the graphics are. They can cause imbalance. 
All right, the imbalance in our level of casual connection versus healthy friendships. This is something that that happens online. We might have 2,000 followers on Instagram, but no one we can call when we experience a disappointment or heartache. That would be a disproportionate representation of reality. All right, another example might be too much stimuli. Is our environment ever quiet or still? I think it's no wonder that a meditative practice is such a powerful tool to support good mental health. In past generations, I think there was more time for contemplation and stillness. It was kind of built into life. And in today's world, you can't go anywhere in public without hearing a news broadcast or music being played or overhearing conversations of others on phones or just scrolling on your own phone if you have a moment. So we can't escape it, it seems like. You have to be very proactive to escape it. All right, this one you might not have thought about, but in our current society, we have too many choices. Baskin and Robbins phenomena is real. Have you ever gone to get ice cream and you can't pick the flavor because there's too many choices? Well, science has shown that anytime there are more than three options to choose from, our level of satisfaction will drop. So this is called or defined by Barry Schwartz as the paradox of choice. And he said this, he defines it as this, a common assumption in Western developed societies that the more choice people have, the more freedom they have, the more uh, welfare that they'll have. When in reality, having many options to choose from rather than making people happy and ensuring they get what they want can lead them to stress and problematize decision-making, unquote. So have you ever struggled to make decisions? It might just be that you have too many choices, too many things to choose from. So what other societal processed sugars that are something that's imbalanced or it's out of proportion, it's distorted, and it's not in its natural, healthful state, can you think of? Please share your thoughts in the comments on the Happiness Playbook on Instagram or at Play Theory on Facebook or leave a comment on playtheory.org. So we've established that as a society, we're swimming in way too much overprocessed, unhealthful garbage and the results are snowballing in. Our cultural mental health is plummeting. We need to take proactive steps to combat this. So back to our sugar consumption. What do we do to preserve our dental health when we've consumed sugar? We brush and floss regularly, every day, twice a day. It's not a one and done. It's called dental hygiene. And we go to the dental professional, also known as the dentist, regularly, once or twice a year for checkups, or when we have to deal with decay that got by us and caused problems and pain. I personally had terrible dental hygiene as a youth, and I've had to deal with the long-term consequences of that for years as an adult. Some of you may remember back in May, I couldn't do an episode because I literally wasn't supposed to talk for two weeks after a major oral surgery. Now, our mental health is a lot like our dental health. It takes regular hygiene, daily work to keep things moving the right direction and to prevent a buildup of the bad agents that can cause severe disease. Now, it may mean we need to see a mental health professional to get a checkup for help with the problem that we're dealing with. Now, I'm not 
that guy when it comes to your mental health. I'm not a mental health professional. I want you to think of me more as your mom reminding you to brush your teeth and don't forget to floss. It takes a lot of effort to establish positive habits, and I'm here for your weekly check-in. The four play theory principles are like your toothbrush and floss. When used regularly, they can prevent erosion of good mental health. Just like with dental health, of course, there's more that goes into it. Trauma could cause damage that takes years of interventive surgeries and healing to restore your good health. But along the road to full recovery, you keep brushing your teeth. Along the road to good mental health, you keep practicing play theory. Even in my deepest episodes of depression, following the four principles helped nudge me towards recovery. In our societal sugar-saturated world of fast fixes and deep fake realities, we are experiencing an epidemic of declining mental health. As noted by the CDC, nearly three out of five high school-aged girls and nearly one in three boys in the United States experience feelings of persistent sadness or hopelessness. And do you know what emotion hopelessness can turn into? Rage, anger, desperation. The subtext behind all of these tragic headlines of late. This hopelessness is what's behind 30% of teenaged girls and 14% of high school-aged boys having seriously considered taking their lives. And this figure is on the rise among young adults, adults, and children as well. Now, this is a pretty big bummer for a podcast purporting to be about happiness, but that's just it. We're the happiness playbook because we recognize that happiness is not a given. It's something that must be fought for and achieved, and our current culture is not helping us win this fight. So what are you doing about it? I'm doing this podcast. I'm trying to help our culture recognize the very real and pressing need for regular mental health hygiene. I'm offering tools to offset the onset of despair and disconnection so prevalent in our society, despite the number of social media accounts we might follow. If these young lives matter to you, please look outward and share play theory with the teenager in your world. These numbers aren't clustered in high school campuses far from your social group. I promise they walk among us all. One year in my theater program, a cast member had to drop out of a show due to persistent absences. I later found out that they had been hospitalized for attempting to take their life. I had no idea. They had been kind and responsible and receptive at the previous rehearsals, There were no proverbial red flags waving over their head. Now, there's a happy ending to this story. The next season, this youth returned to the program and was able to perform in our Shakespeare in the Park shows. I was watchful and hopeful, and I saw good things. There were more smiles, more genuine enthusiasm, and even laughter. At the end of the show run, This actor shared with me that the play theory principles had literally been a lifesaver for them. Practicing them had helped them return from a very dark place with the additional help of other healthcare professionals. Remember the dental hygiene analogy? This youth needed intervention and a lot of professional care for a time. 
They also needed a regular mental health hygiene practice. And after doing a year of that with the theater company, they had a newfound confidence that they could navigate the at times overwhelming societal sugar that had brought on the initial decay. They were grateful to now have a practice to combat the erosive influences that they had previously not been able to manage. The numbers on teen depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and suicide are alarming. Sorry about the dog. We need to change what we're doing as a culture if we want to change this trajectory. That's this week's Play of the Week. Go change someone's life by sharing the four play theory principles with them. Give it some thought and consider who in your circle of friends and acquaintances could use this mental hygiene practice. If I had practiced better dental hygiene as a child, I would have been spared thousands of dollars and countless hours of pain and suffering. How grateful I would be to the person who helped me improve my dental hygiene in a timely manner before it got out of control. Here's a tip if you're having a hard time thinking of someone that you could help improve their mental hygiene. Everyone, everyone and anyone could use a positive mental health practice. Just like with dental hygiene, we need mental hygiene. And just like good dental hygiene, it's not a one and done. It takes regular, consistent practice. So I hope you'll keep it up. Get out there and be present. Let go and play. Accept and build and look outward. And please, for the love of humanity, share this podcast, especially this episode. Till next week. <laughs>